This is our podcast for legal and ethics and counseling. Um, I'm Grace. I'm studying for clinical mental health counseling. And I'm Lexi. I'm studying for school counseling. We're going to be talking about today why dual relationships in the counseling profession is problematic for small communities and also in regards to social media. We especially want to focus on the school counseling perspective as well as the mental health counseling. Um, So to begin, we're going to talk about the history of this issue. So the APA in 2010, their ethics code defines multiple relationships as one is that a practitioner is a professional role with a person in addition to another role with the same individual or with another person who is close to that individual. So that's really wordy, but basically what it's saying is like if I was a counselor um, and I was seeing a client and let's say the client uh, was somebody that lives down the road from me. And that client came to my door one day asking if they could mow my lawn for 20 bucks. Uh, That would be considered a dual role relationship uh, because I would be giving this person money. They would be doing a task for me. Um, And it's just really inappropriate to have someone that you're talking to uh, as a counselor be doing a task for you uh, because that can end really poorly. Yeah. Uh, Um, So I think it's just really interesting to note that this issue of dual role relationships, it's only been around since 1980. It's only been recognized since then. Um, In one of the things we've researched, so Pope and his colleagues were the first to discuss how some of the potential problems could occur, um, when that means the inability to be objective, and that can occur from sexualizing a relationship or hiring them for something. But I mean, I think we all know that, you know, becoming sexual with your clients is a major issue, and we've discussed that in length. Um, but we're kind of going to focus more on that gray area where it's still, you know, it's a non-sexual relationship, but it's still obviously not professional and some of the consequences of that. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't find a code nowadays that doesn't talk about dual role relationships in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, in looking at the text mess, uh, sorry, in looking at the textbook, Uh, The Code of Ethics cautions professionals against any involvement with clients that might impair the judgment or objectivity that could affect their ability of effective services or results in harm or exploitation of the client. Um, And it says that non-sexual multiple relationships are not inherently unethical, but most ethical codes do uh, acknowledge that multiple relationships can be unavoidable. So, like, some of the codes... uh that talk about it are things like uh, the ACA. Um, They talk about it in A6E just as a non-professional interactions or relationships. Um, You know, those are other than the relationships that are romantic um, or sexual. Yeah, so in A6E, it talks about how it applies to both the in-person and the electronic uh, interaction within that relationship. So I think that that's the really interesting part is now we're actually starting to talk about the social media use and that's just now being put into the codes. Um, we're, if we look at the ASCA code of ethics, they have a section A5 about dual relationships and managing boundaries. Um, and they state that if a dual relationship is unavoidable, the school counselor is responsible for taking action to eliminate or reduce the potential harm for the student uh, through use of safeguards which could inf- uh, use informed consent, consultation, supervi- supervision, and documentation. So, like, what would be an example of something a school counselor in a dual relationship? Like, what would what would a dual relationship be for a school counselor? 
Um, I think we talked about if a school counselor was also a coach of a team. I think that's definitely one of them. Um, I had the experience in middle school where I saw the school counselor at time to time, but I also was trying out for softball. And the school counselor was actually the person who, when I walked into the room to do uh, decide if they were going to have me for the team or not, that she cut me like cut me from the team and that was kind of a, a very weird situation for me because I felt like this was a person I should trust this is a person I've been going to for my emotional support and here they are making a judgment call on my ability to perform and it just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth and looking back on that I wonder if that was the most ethical choice and letting her be the one to cut the kids from the team not necessarily maybe she could be the coach but should she be the one to cut us from the team yeah, I think that's hard because, um, I mean, obviously we've had conversations about um, you You have to cut people from teams. Not cutting from teams, uh, I think, sets kids up in the future to fail because you're acting like, um, you know, you're, you're almost guarding them from different things. Like um, saying there's no such thing as bullies or, you know, protecting people from harm, I think, messes up people in the future so mm-hmm. you know when kids are when you when you don't cut kids from teams um I think it's a great thing because like kids are able to be involved in everything but then you know I think it kind of does them a disservice in the future um but I do see what you're saying about um the school counselor being the one to cut you mm-hmm. you know I think as someone who wants to be a school counselor I played soccer my entire life even through college and you know, being a, a soccer coach is something that I would love to do. Um, but I do see the potential for there to be a problem if, you know, I was a soccer coach in the school that I uh, was a school counselor for. Because, you know, what if I was the person that had to, to cut kids from the team? Right. Um, you know, I wouldn't want them to hate me because I had to cut them. Um, I think something good that could possibly, you know, instead of me cutting them, having a couple uh, assistant coaches. You know, if I had a couple assistant coaches, then have them make those decisions, you know, give my opinion on things. But if I was the one that didn't have to, you know, look a kid in the eye and say, hey, I know I'm your counselor, but you can't play soccer on this team. Right. You know, that's damaging a relationship um, that took a while to build. Definitely. Um, so I do see what you're saying when, like, you don't want the school counselor to be the person that has to be like, yeah. sorry, you can't yeah. be on this team. And, and like the codes are saying, like they are unavoidable, but at the same time, you've got to use your best judgment and what that's going to mean and how far you're going to push your boundaries with, you know, doing the dual role. You know, I totally think that if that's something, I think it's great that the, the school counselor is getting involved in other areas of the school, like coaching. If that's where her expertise is or his expertise, that's awesome. But just understanding, like, where should I set boundaries? Like you're saying, I think that's a great compromise. And you can still be the coach, but maybe having the assistant coach be the one to make the cuts. Just because that is a really big ego blow to middle schoolers, even though that's a tough time anyways. So I think that's a really, really challenging call. But I think we need to put a lot of thought into our actions, especially when dealing with kids. Yeah, and I mean, actually, now just thinking about it, what do you do if... uh you're the school counselor and you have a client on your team Mm -hmm. and then let's say something happens in the game where your client is the person uh you know yelling at somebody on the opposing team right then you have to yell at that client 
yeah. um, as a coach and say like, hey, like you can't do that. Like you're the knock it off. Yeah, then you have to discipline them. Right. So maybe that still puts a riff in your relationship. So, you know, how do you coach someone that is your client? Right. And that might be, that might be a, like an individual basis where you kind of see who you're working with and how involved you are because, you know, being a school counselor, you're kind of like an umbrella. You're covering everybody. You're the counselor for everyone. So maybe if you feel like this person doesn't, that can handle more of that discipline and accept it from you, but if it's somebody you've been working on really intense, like emotional or social issues, maybe being more conscious of like, okay, how am I speaking to this student? Like am I the greatest person for, to say this to them? Or maybe I should have my assistant coach step in. But I think you're really right. I think that's really a re- something that needs to be thought about. And I was thinking that too because you know, as a school counselor, you're being a disciplinarian, but not often. That's not a hat you have to wear too, too yeah, often. Yeah, exactly. But as a coach, it may be something you have to do more. Yeah, and I think you know if you decide that, you know, this person's going to join the team and you know they're going to try out. Yeah. I think it's definitely a conversation to have before they even try out. Maybe. Say, like, I saw your name on the sign-up sheet. Um, but have a conversation, like, what is that going to look like if you play soccer? Yeah. How are you going to feel if I have to discipline you on the field? How are you going to feel if you get cut from this team? Is that going to ruin our relationship? So having that, like, front-loading conversation with the student in private? Absolutely, yeah. Like, yeah. like in the counseling session. So, yeah. like, if this is someone, like, you see often, yeah. you know, the next time they come in, have that conversation. Get it all out of the way. That way, you know, it's all there. And... Um, it's nothing that you have to to question. I think you're totally right on that. Um, I'm going to switch gears for just a minute, and then we can come back to that. Yeah. Um, I was just looking at the AMCA Code of Ethics, um, talking about counselor-client relationships, dual, dual multiple relationships, seeing what they had to say. In the mental health counseling. Yeah, in the mental health counseling. You're right. So it says, when a dual or multiple relationship can't be avoided, the mental health counselors take appropriate professional precautions such as informed consent, consultation, supervision, documentation to ensure that judgment is not impaired and no exploitation has occurred. And that's really, really similar now that I'm looking at it to the ASCA code because they also talk about documentation, supervision, consultation, informed consent. So they're both talking about how there are times where it's not going to be avoidable. But I think, and I think... I don't know how many times I'm going to emphasize it, but the documentation piece of just saying, am I making the right call? Watching your, you know, doing some self-evaluation of how you're handling the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in a small community, you know, like even a mental health counselor, you know, could be your coach. You know, if you live in a small community, you are more than likely going to have that dual role, Um, you know, or if, you know, if your significant other is someone that, works in the community if you know they're the electrician for the community or you know something like that then you're going to be seeing them often and you know maybe your client um has your husband come in for electrical work like how you can't avoid that yeah um if they're the only one in the area but what do you do when that happens yeah and i think we were talking about a scenario that would be really interesting so imagine you know you're seeing somebody in private this is uh, as a mental health counselor and you go out to a restaurant to eat, and um, the client ends up being your waitress or waiter. What do you do in that situation? Like, how do you avoid the dual role there? Because, first of all, confidentiality, you can't confirm or deny that that's your client. You can't say anything until they say something first. Um, so that would be challenging. Yeah, that would be, you know, 
you almost have to ignore them, like, yeah. um, pretend you it's a don't stranger. Know them. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's hard when you go to a restaurant, it's not like you know that your client is a server there, no. and, you know, the chances you get sat in their section and they see you, yeah. um, it may make them uncomfortable, like, they may not say anything. Right. And, you know, me, uh, I have been a server for years, um, and I think the hardest thing for me would be, if my counselor came in, I don't think I would have a problem, you know, admitting that they were... Uh, my counselor, mm-hmm. I think my problem would be like at the end of the session or at the end of uh, their dinner when I got their tip back, you know, right. like if they didn't tip like 20%, you know, I know that may sound a little shallow or whatever, but you know, you live for those paychecks. Definitely. So if your counselor ended up not tipping 20% or maybe their significant other didn't tip 20%, you know, I would, om- I would be upset about that. Yeah. And I think I'd almost be more upset if, like, my counselor was the one who didn't tip 20%. Definitely. Because then I could be, like, I, I would almost think of that, like, as me as a person instead of me as a server being, like, what did I do? Like, they don't like me. Like, this is an example of, you know, my mental health counselor not liking me. Yeah. And, and then I, what if they bring that up in session? I think I would bring it up in a yeah. session, you know. Like, as a as a client, I'd be like, you know, I was really hurt when you came <laughs> to my job the other day and then kind of dissed me. Like, how do you – is that a conversation you have? Like, how does that work? Because, mm-hmm. you know – do you feel inclined to tip more than 20% because they are your client and you want them to like you? Yeah. Um, I think that gets into really uh, mucky water, you know? Like, what do you what do? you do? Yeah, and in a small community like Maine, I feel like that's bound to happen more than once. And uh, so I just want to kind of come into our introduction on our advocacy, and then maybe we can circle back to this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so... Uh, you know, there was a study that we found. Um, it was an Australian study by, uh, done by uh, OSIS and Pelling. Um, they held a group to talk about uh, privacy settings for on Facebook mm-hmm. for counselors. So it was a it was a group of counselors who you know came in and they were like, yeah, you know, I I keep my privacy settings really hidden. You know, nobody can see anything. You know, if you if you end up finding me on Facebook. First of all, it might be impossible. Second of all, it's not going to show anything. All these counselors said that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they actually found that most of the Facebooks were not hidden well. So people who weren't friends with these counselors uh, went to find their Facebooks, found their Facebooks, and found that they could see pictures, they could see information about them, um, that they didn't think that you, know, you could see. Um, and it was actually really easy to find them. Um, it was also found that the professionals didn't know how to manage most of their friend requests effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and if clients or students looked at the counselor, they would have found, you know, the pictures and the information. So, like, me being a school counselor, if that was me, if my students were just like, oh, my God, I, you know, I want to look up Miss Crawford and mm-hmm. see what her Facebook has, um, you know – there are pictures of me on Facebook, like, maybe at a concert holding a beer can. Like, right. are my clients going to be like, you told me I couldn't drink, but here you are on Facebook. You know, so you have to be really careful about it. Yeah. Um, and the authors actually suggest um, that more education around social media should be done um, for the helping professionals because, you know, a lot of people think they're hiding their Facebook when, you know, they're not. There's so much information that's uh, just out there. Um Definitely. I know on on my Facebook, I have a lot of things hidden, and I think I had a lot, I I thought I had a lot more hidden, Um, and I actually went for an interview a couple months ago, and 
I went into the interview for my first interview and the principal was like, yeah, so we looked at your Facebook. You know, it's, it's pretty good. For school counseling. For school counseling, yeah. For a school counseling position. And the principal, he was like, you know, your Facebook's pretty good. You have one or two things that we question. And I kind of stopped because I was like, oh my God, they actually looked at my Facebook. Yeah. And, you know, everybody tells you that when you're applying for a job, they're going to look at your Facebook. They're going to look at your social media accounts to see what you have. And I guess I thought that, you couldn't see anything, but you know, pictures I'm shared in, um, or tagged in are people who have all of their privacy settings open. So you can see all those pictures that other people shared. Um, and again, they're pictures of me like at concerts, maybe with a beer can. Yeah. And after that happened, I immediately went through my Facebook and I tried to hide things. I tried to, you know, put my privacy down even more, but I think even then it's still not as private as I, as I would like it. Um, and definitely, I think maybe trainings for professionals might be good for that. Definitely. And I mean, I know we talked about it earlier too, that, so there is Facebook, but I think for people who are a little bit younger, we have other social medias too. So LinkedIn is one that's hopefully pretty professional, but still another mode where clients or students could look you up. Then there's Instagram. And I would think, you know, I keep my Facebook pretty PG, but I, I get, I post more personal things on Instagram that I may not post on Facebook. And if someone were to look me up there, a patient or a client, that would be really concerning just because I don't know what they're going to, what kind of judgments they're going to make there. And like you were saying about the beer, of course, you know, it's fine, but kids are looking up to you as role models. And so we have to be really, really careful about what we post and what it means. Um, Segwaying into that, we were really thinking about what we're going to do for our, our advocacy plan. And we realized that, you know, avoiding dual role positions in person, like small communities, is it's going to be unavoidable. And it's really going to be a one, like individual basis of what you're going to do there. I think it's going to take a lot of um, ethical decision making, and it's going to depend on the situation. There's a lot of depending factors. So if we focus more on the social media use and what we should do there to limit how we come across online and how to keep that professional um, presentation, uh, we both agreed that you shouldn't probably use your last name on your personal Facebook. I've seen a lot of teachers do this where they put their middle name or their middle initial or something like that just so they're not as excessively searched. Yeah, so they can't look you up by your last name. Yeah, and that's just, you know, to keep it a little more private. Um, And then to make sure those accounts are private, because I think on Facebook there is a setting off in the corner where you can see how people who aren't friends with you view your profile and I think it's good to check that every once in a while to make sure that things you don't want other people seeing aren't going to be seen because it's not only it's your image but it's also what you know your clients or your students are going to think and there's just a lot of things that you've got to be thinking about there um another thing is to be very conscious about what you post you know you don't want to be posting especially because we have to be we have to be careful about how we come across for cultural and diversity. We don't want to make our opinions come across as ignorant or small-minded or anything like that. So you need to be careful about how you present your information, not getting into big Facebook arguments because who knows who could see that about politics. Yeah, exactly. And like, especially like the, the links you find on Facebook, like if you find a, an article and you're like, wow, like this is a really cool one and you share it on your Facebook, right. if your page isn't private enough, people can look at that and see what you've shared for articles yes. and, you know, make assumptions about you based on those articles. Definitely. Um, and the other thing when you said being conscious of what you post, 
if they end up finding your Facebook and everything's private and they can't see anything, that's great. But also make sure what your profile picture is on Facebook, make sure it's something appropriate. You know, you don't want you at a party doing a keg stand as your profile picture because if a kid sees that then what message are you sending exactly yeah and then so I I think it's really wise it's it's sad that I feel like I have to say this but I think it is important um to not search our clients or our students because I know people we're all innately curious but you know you don't want to see something that you found by snooping if we see something like say a student is posting something about them using marijuana and we only know that because we've looked them up on social media is it appropriate to come to them and ask them about it yeah like how do you how do you address that like you can't go to counseling and say hey listen you know i found you on facebook and i saw a picture of you um you know with marijuana yeah like they will probably think of that as an invasion of privacy and then how can they trust you if you know, you're snooping through their private accounts. Right. I think it really damages that therapeutic alliance that we're really working on. And if that's something they want to disclose to you, that's one thing, but that's not something that is our job to find by snooping around and (laughs) trying to delve up that information. Yeah, exactly. Um, Another one that I think is really, really interesting and, and kind of hard to figure out is, you know, how, like if we're friends with our students' parents, I think if we've already had that long-standing friendship before, it's fine. But if, you know, you have a Facebook friend request that pops up and it's, you know, you know that that's the student's parent, it's probably not the best idea to add them. Yeah, exactly. Like, what do you do, Um, especially in a small community, because, you know, you get to know all the parents and then all of a sudden, you know, you've been friends with a parent for two or three years and then you have their child uh, in in your office as a school counselor. Um, and then you make that relationship with the with the student. The problem is like, if you have your parent, if if you have the student's parents on Facebook, um, what's stopping them from messaging you um, in the middle of the night saying, "Hey, listen, like we're having this crisis. What do we do?" Right. Um, then you're putting your work self into your personal self, and I think that's like a really hard uh, task. I think definitely in a small community like that, you have to make sure if you're friends with the child's parent, you need to t- talk to them and say. You know, my personal life's my personal life, my work's life, my work's life. You know, I really don't want to get those mixed up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, if it's something with a child, you got to call the school, you know, talk to me during work hours about that. But yeah. I really don't want to talk about my work's health, you know, in my private life. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's good that we're having this conversation, but I, I don't know if everyone, you know, thinks the same way we do about it. But I really think that maybe a continued education course would be the right call of action here. Because if we do a you know a continued education course about social media and the implications of you know not keeping yourself private and delving into that kind of dual role of knowing your um, clients or students online and versus in person or them looking you up, like you can get yourself in some pretty messy ethical situations. So I think it would be a wise idea for both school counseling and mental health to have that continued education course to teach them about social media and how to keep everything private and why that's important. Yeah, I think that's a really good advocacy plan because, you know, uh, social media just keeps growing and growing. And there's always, there's so many new ways to get in touch with people and there's so many new platforms to, you know, add yourself to and put yourself out there. And um, I think... You know, having that course to go over privacy, what not to share, what to share, um, what to say to a parent if they're trying to add you, um, you know, having that conversation and um, figuring out how to do it, I think is a really good way. Um, You know, having that extra learning is super important. 
Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've, we've talked about so much here and it seems like they're, you know, if you weren't really following, it seems like there were two subjects here, but it really is all in one because there's dual relationships in person and then there's dual relationships in social media. And I think that we've really talked about a lot of like the in-person stuff and how, you know, that's been acknowledged. And now we're getting into more of the technology piece. And I think that's where the advocacy really needs to come from. That's not being addressed that people are starting to address, but there's still no clear cut way of how to handle it. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I definitely think we need to learn a little more about, um, how to go over these things, how to handle it and how to make sure we keep, you know, our, our work like our work life, our work life, and our private life, our private life. Yeah, it's definitely important to remain professional, um, both online and in person. Thank you for uh, joining us for this podcast. Yeah, thank you.